I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, and when you find that, please stand with me if you are able, and I will be reading verses 36 through 46 this morning, Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. How many times have you heard those words? How many times have you heard those words read or have you read those words? It would be very easy today to say, well, you read the scripture, then you pray, and then you preach. And uh, we'll, well, read the scripture, pray, we sit down, then you preach. Do you know that I could read this passage for the next 30 minutes over and over again and it would be a wonderful use of our time that is not my plan today the public reading of the scriptures the public reading of God's word is important I I say it often that the spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of the people of God God and his word are strong and you've probably heard these words before I want you to hear them once again. If you need to sit, go ahead and sit. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter... 
and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we should always want to come to your word with fear and trembling and awe and reverence for you. And Lord, we confess, I confess that I do not always come to your word with awe and reverence for you. And it is so easy to think we know this, to, to say we've already read it, to, to not be touched by these words. Lord, this is, this is Mount Everest. This is, this is D-Day. This is the brink of, of the cross that we're reading about. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would not be driven by emotions, but that our emotions would not be pushed to the side. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done in this time today. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. One writer, speaking of the Garden of Gethsemane, said his destination was the garden, a place to which he had frequently resorted for communion and refreshment. But this time it was to be a place of conflict, the place where he should not only have a preview, but a foretaste of the cross. This was something more intimate, more distressing than he had ever experienced. And in approaching this solemn study, we must tread reverently and cautiously. Gethsemane is not a field for intellect. It is a sanctuary for faith. 
There was a transacted something that brings us completely out of our depth. Yet something that has such a distinct bearing on our redemption that we dare not pass it by. Wouldn't it be so easy for us to say, I know all about this passage, I know what it means, I know what it says, and and even come to this passage somewhat smug and satisfied with ourselves and say, you know what, We, we got this one wired, we know. This should put us in the deep, deep end of the pool. We're treading water to figure it out. We, we don't get it. A lot of people will come to this passage and say, you know, this is all about the humanity of Christ. Now, the humanity of Christ is on full, glorious display, but some people will just downplay the deity of Christ. Some upplay the humanity and downplay the deity or vice versa. I say this is Jesus in all his incarnate glory right here at the garden. And it is too deep for us. It is, it is something that we must come to very reverently and very cautiously as we handle this passage. What I want to do today is, is basically ask a couple questions. What happened? It is so easy to come to the scriptures and go, I already know what happened, I got it. And we'll miss what the word actually says. This first step of of studying the word is just, what does it say? So what happened? And then what did Jesus do? What do we see Jesus doing in this passage? And then the third question we'll ask is, how should we live? What happened? What did Jesus do? How should we live as a result in light of these words that's what we're going to do and i i want to point out to you three really big moments three ideas three three focuses of this passage the first thing i want you to see in verses 36 to 38 is the gravity of the garden how big it was how how sorrowful it was. That's really the key word of those first few verses. Sorrow. It says that Jesus went with them. Who was he with? He was with his disciples, but only 11. Judas, who would betray him, had already gone to gather the arresters. And he goes with them to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus' favorite campground with his disciples they had been there often it was across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem and he goes with them to this place called Gethsemane actually Gethsemane means olive press the place of the olive press it was in the Mount of Olives and he says to his disciples his closest group of people he says sit here while I go over there and pray They weren't having a prayer meeting together. He wants them to sit. He's going to go over and pray. Verse 37 tells us that he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. We've seen Peter and James and John get this, what else can you call it, but special treatment from Jesus before. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've seen other things. I don't think we can say, well, you know, Peter, James, and John were just more special They were better disciples. 
Jesus, for some reason, took them out of the larger group of disciples and narrowed down the focus for them and showed them some things no one else got to see. Peter and James and John, and he did so because he had chosen them. He had brought them now to this place. And it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful literally means to be in pain, either emotionally or physically. And you know, if you're in pain emotionally, you may even feel lousy physically. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's in distress. He says to them, verse 38. By the way, it's hard to read these words. If you really think about what is being said, it it should be hard for us to read these words. Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful. He says, I'm in a lot of pain, even to death. Why was he in sorrow? We dare not forget why he is in sorrow. We must know why Jesus is in sorrow. Go with me to John chapter 1. John's gospel will, will tell us exactly why Jesus is in sorrow. Verse 1, you read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word of God. We're talking about God incarnate here. This is Jesus before coming to earth, and He is God. He's with God. He makes the world. It says in verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. God was going to become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Blows our minds. We, we cannot comprehend that mystery. But we believe it. He was in the Word, in the world, and the world was made through Him. And here's why He was sorrowful in the garden. The world did not know Him. Here's why He was sorrowful in the garden. Verse 11, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. To all who did receive him, John says, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Why was he sorrowful in the garden? Because he was going to take upon himself my sins and your sins and all the sins of the world and we don't get it. We say it and and we don't don't even know what we're saying. We stub our toes and we, we cry out. He took all sin upon himself there was this gravity in the garden that you cannot miss we must not miss what jesus is is doing here is he's sharing his heart with his disciples what you see here in the gravity of the garden is jesus's relationship with his friends 
and what that should tell us about how we should live is that we should feel free to share our lives with our friends. That is not a little thing. Here is Jesus' relationship with his friends. He is vulnerable. He's not saying, oh, you know, I'm the son of God. I can't show this, this, this stuff I'm going through. I, I just can't expose this to these guys that are looking up to me so much. Oh no, he is candid. He is extremely sorrowful and he's in anguish and he's self-disclosed. By the way, that's the the heart of true fellowship. You, You say you have fellowship with Christians, that means you disclose of yourself with fellow Christians. That means you share of yourself. If you don't do that, you don't have fellowship. You hang around with people and you talk. Jesus' sorrow was was great. He shared it. He didn't hide it. He wasn't above it. He wasn't afraid to share it. If the Son of God can tell His sinful disciples, if the sinless Son of God can tell His sinless disciples what was on His heart, we ought to be able, because of Him, to share what is on our hearts with those who are close to us. Now, don't go sharing with everyone. That's just weird, right? Someone who tells everything to everyone. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus shared his heart with the disciples. Therefore, we should feel free to do the same with our friends. Why do we not do this? I'll tell you why we don't do it. Because we are conditioned to to employ what, what I will call image management at all times. And there is no greater time of our image management than on Sunday mornings going to church. We put on a good face, we put on our nice clothes, and we come and we put a smile on our face, and people say, how are you doing? And we say, great. And often we're telling the truth. Things are great. And it could be that things are taking a nosedive in your life, but you are finding your sustenance in Christ, and you could be able to say, it is well with my soul because of Jesus. But let me tell you what God never intended to happen. God never intended for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and do that solo. If you are sitting in a cubicle right now and you are saying this is just about me and Jesus, then you got only half the truth. We're conditioned to make everything look like it's all right. We lie often to people. We don't disclose. And the reason why is because we're dealing in image management and we're dealing in profiling. Now, the law enforcement profiles people rightly to protect us. We profile people to protect ourselves wrongly. We look around and we say, you know what? The people that I, I, I know... I don't trust them. I've given them something. They've, they've failed me before. Wouldn't you have loved it if Jesus did that to his disciples? Oh, no. What would he say? I'm going to get some new disciples. These are kind of lame. You know, they keep on messing up. You think you're, your friends are lame? Share your heart with them. Look them in the eye and say, you know what? I need you right now. Let's stop talking about fantasy football or whatever we're doing Let's talk about life. I know too many people who think 
that they can make excuses for why they aren't going to be connected with other Christians. And I will tell you this, if you are not connected with other Christians relationally, your life in Christ will be stunted. Your growth is being stunted and the church is being hindered. How often do you share the burdens of your heart with someone who you can trust and are significantly connected to? Why is it that we so often feel like we don't have the freedom to share our deepest pains and sorrows and fears and quandaries in life with other people? And we'll gladly profile them and say, they didn't bear my burden before, I'm not going to give them anything. Or, I don't want anyone to know. I'm going to just keep hiding. If this is you, you've got to break out of that relational cocoon and without doing that, your, your growth in Christ and the church, church's growth will be stunted. Jesus was in the garden. The, the full weight of what was going to happen was coming upon him and he was sorrowful and he told his friends. By the way, you want friends? Be a friend. Well, I don't have any friends. Well, go get some. Someone needs one. Go be one to them. The gravity of the garden was such that sorrow overtook Jesus and he was sorrowful and troubled and he talked about it. My soul is troubled even to the point of death. I'm very sorrowful. Next thing I want you to see is the greatness of the task before him. Verses 39 to 44. And the key word in this, in this part, when he is praying to the Father, is the word cup. There was a cup that he was going to drink. He had just instituted the Lord's table. He shared the cup with his disciples. He would not share this cup with them. This cup had to be a solo cup. He had to take this cup alone because what this cup was full of, we would never even want to lay eyes upon. This cup was full of the wrath of God against human sin. What you see Jesus doing is is displaying his relationship with his father, but he wasn't doing it in such of like, here, disciples, listen up, let me show you this. He just did it and they saw it. His relationship with his father was on full display. He's praying fervently. He's saying what's on his heart. He doesn't hold back. He's honest. You can do whatever you want and say, you know, I'm an intellectual and I, I know everything about this passage and I know why he did this and that. And at the end of the day, I'll say, no, you don't. No, you don't know why. You don't know how to, to figure it out because here's the God-man saying, praying, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know what we need to do? We need to come to this passage with fear and trembling and let it say what it says and not try to figure it all out. 
Jesus begins his prayer, my father. When his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, what did he say? Pray in this way, our father. The Jews didn't pray this way. They would heap up all sorts of big titles on God. True titles. Everlasting. Holy. Amazing. Awesome. But very few would call, would dare to call God their Father. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father. That's a plural. We're supposed to pray that way. It signifies the close relationship God has with His people. That when we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. But here, this is... Jesus saying, my father. You know what this is? This is God talk. God's having a conversation. My father, he says. He says, if it is possible. We dare not read these words if we think that we know all about them. We're in too deep of water here. We must let them say what they say. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The greatness of the task before him was that he was going to drink the cup full of God's wrath against sin. Just for a moment, just think with me about this. Jesus poured his heart out to the Father. Therefore, we must do the same. We must live the same way. It, it should pain us to read these words. He fell on his face. He didn't trip over a piece of cement or over a tree stump. He was so sorrowful and the weight of what he was going to do was coming on him so vividly that he fell down prostrate on his face before his father and he prays. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever been so distressed and so weighed down that you all you can do is fall on your face before God? Do you ever make it to your knees? Now the posture of our hearts is what God is in, in, interested in. But if we never make it to our faces or even to our knees, what does that tell us about the posture of our hearts? Now, it's not like, hey, only the super spiritual Christians pray prostrate on the ground or on their knees. But people who know they need God more than anything, they get on their knees. And at times, they're flat out, face first to the ground before God. Who's had a root canal? Let me see your hands. I want to see your hands. Have you ever had a root canal? Okay, a good number of us had a root canal. So have I. How many of you have a dental implant where they took a big Makita drill and drilled into, the, into your jawbone? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Big. Be, be proud about it. Come on. Don't be afraid. You went through it. Come on. Get some credit for it. All right. Now, I've done both of those so I can talk about this. People say, whoa, oh no, oh no, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Let me just tell you something. I didn't want to get a root canal. 
but I know I needed to. I was in great pain, and the doctor says, we've got to do a root canal. So I'm sitting there thinking, no! But then I'm thinking, hmm, pain? Or get through the root canal to no more pain. I'll take it. One day I lost a tooth, and the doctor's like, you know, this is going to be a long process, but there'll be a day when I'm going to come at you with a, with a big old drill, and we're going to drill into your jawbone, and then put a screw in there, and then put a tooth on top of that. Wow, cool, goody, goody. I can't wait. I want to run from that as far as I could get from it. But I went through it to the joy of no teeth pain. My, my teeth are good. They're feeling good right now. Look, how many of you want to go to heaven? Anyone want to go to heaven? Some of you. Okay, thank you. Wonderful. What am I doing up here? All right, one more time. Who wants to go to heaven? All right, good. Well, I'll tell you how you can get there. You've got to admit your problem, which is sin. You are trying to be your own savior. And you've got to accept God's solution, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sins in your place. And he's coming back. We all want to go to heaven. We just don't want to die to get there. People are like, oh, I can't wait to die. No, you don't. You never died before. You can't wait to die. You can't wait to get to heaven. You don't want to go through death. Why are you praying for, Lord, make it quick? Right? The greatness of the task before Jesus was he knew where he was going and he knew that it would be horrible. But it would go it would, it would go towards joy. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. The joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory through the cross. You gotta, you've got to um, shake the tendency to hide from God. Just read Psalm 139. It tells you everything you need to know about hiding from God and how you can't. Jesus says, pray that you won't go into temptation. What would be the temptation? Not to fall asleep, but to to desert Him. To deny Him. If you can't get to the place in, in your relationship with God that you feel free to pour your heart out to Him, then you will just have the shell of the Christian life and not the substance that God intends. Some people will tell me, well, you know what? I've gone through too much pain. I'm done going through pain. No, you're not. There's more in store. And let me just say this. Let the place of your deepest pain become the place of your greatest communion with God. Let the place of your deepest pain become the place of your greatest communion with God. gravity of the garden there's this sorrow that's taking over jesus's very soul and there's the greatness of the task before him he's going to drink the cup of god's wrath but what i want you to see and and really we see it in the last two verses is the glory of the cross 
before the cross. Jesus says in verse 45, sleep later. The hour is at hand. That's the key word there. The hour. You know when he says to Peter, and he was saying it to all of them, by the way, it was in a plural. He said, couldn't you wait and and watch with me for one hour and pray? He wasn't going, oh, 60 minutes is up there. They messed up. It was a time frame. It was a long time. He was praying. And now he's saying, the hour has come. What hour? It's the capital H hour that Galatians 4 talks about. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might redeem us. The hour of the cross was at hand. So he says, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Says verse 46. He says, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. You go to the next verse. Go to verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came with the arresters, the betrayer and the arresters. They're on their way. He probably, they're in the Mount of Olives. He's looking across the Kidron Valley and he's probably seeing the procession with torches coming up. The glory of the cross. He was going to the cross so you could see Jesus' ambition was His resolve was to go to the cross. He wasn't like, well, I guess we got to do this. No, he's like a Todd Beamer. Let's roll. Let's go now. Let's do it. We are, the idea when he says rise, let us be going is not, well, I guess we got to do this. No, it is, we're going to go meet the battle. There is authority. There is strength in what he is saying. He has pushed through in this dark night of the soul and he has, he has come out on the other side and he's like, we're doing this. We're going now. There's no more time, disciples, to, to try to pray now. You're going to have to rest and do this later. We're going now. While he is still speaking, they're, they're walking up. It's happening right then. What you see is that Jesus wanted God's will more than anything. Therefore, so should we. We should want God's will more than anything. If we don't want God's will more than anything, life will always be about us. It will always be about me. It will always be about you. It will always revolve around you. All the planets will just revolve around you. If we don't want God's will more than anything then it's Eden all over again. Hume Lake High Ropes course. Who's been on it? Hume Lake High Ropes. Oh, a lot of people have been on the Hume Lake High Ropes course. Well, up until this summer, and I've been going to Hume Lake since 1981, up until this summer, I could never raise my hand to that question. I was a big chicken, afraid to go on the High Ropes course. I'm not going to go die that way (laughs) but this summer now that I'm flying again I figure why not do the high ropes course and jump off stuff and see if the rope holds me and all that but it was a little bit more than that my kids were with us most of them were and and Sophie and Savvy my two youngest were going and I'm sitting there thinking I'll take pictures while you jump off the tall thing towards the thing you can't reach and Make sure that the rope, hopefully the rope 
catches you. But I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this. I don't want my little girls thinking that their dad is a chicken or a wimp. I'm doing this. And so I did. I I climbed up the big pole and jumped off of it. I went over every single thing at the Hume Lake High Ropes course. Everything you could go on, I went on it. I have the t-shirt to prove it. I'm not wearing it now, but I have the t-shirt to prove it because I got permission to buy one because I went through it. See, my ambition at that point was I'm going to trust God to do this. Seriously, I was praying. You can be assured, I was praying the entire time. Without God's will as your highest ambition, it is Eden all over again for you. The first garden was marked with my will be done. This garden, thy will be done. D.A. Carson puts it this way. In the first garden, not your will but mine changed paradise to desert and brought man from Eden to Gethsemane. Now, not my will but yours brings anguish to the man who prays it but transforms the desert into the kingdom and brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory. Gethsemane is this this place of the olive press. That's what it means, right? The place where olives would be crushed. The cross is where the sun would be crushed. It was the will of God to crush him. It pleased God to crush him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him hebrews 10 verse 35 therefore do not Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Lord God, thank you that you sent Christ to earth to die our death, to despise the shame for the joy set before him in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Thank you for Jesus, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.